This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. And peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you got your Bible, open it up. We're going into Genesis 12, so that's where we're starting. Uh, and I'm just going to jump us right into the text because it'll, it'll propel us this morning to where we're headed. Uh, we get this account, the reading we just heard a few moments ago. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land. That's how it starts. Go. And for all the things that happen... The word go can really motivate us. How many of you like vacations? How many of you like going to a new restaurant? How many of you like going to go to your favorite store? Okay, when you hear the word go, how many of you actually take a second to make sure you know where you're going? Have any of you ever got in the car, started going, and then you do, I'm oh, sorry, uh, I made a left-hand turn where I should have made a right. I mean, you, you went, you did the go, you just went to the wrong go. Uh, or you ever have that look or the comment in the car next to you, where, where do you think we're going? And then either you make no response or you do this. Um, sorry, but you probably, I mean, hopefully you say sorry. I, 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 I will leave that to you and the car conversation that you have. Uh, but we sometimes forget to wait for the directions. All right, so there was an assignment uh, given to a group of school children, uh, and it seemed so, so simple. All they had to do was write how to tie your shoes. Just, just write it up, how to tie your shoes, good to go. Whole class said, got it. This was like a big project. You know, you get like the big project every quarter. This is the big one. Teacher delivered it. All the students said, cakewalk. And then the teacher said this. Your grade will be determined on whether or not I can tie my shoes based on what you wrote. Now, some of you, you know, you're feeling kind of what those kids felt in that class. You're feeling pretty confident about yourself that you think you have a good grade. Have you ever read someone else's directions? Like, you know how you share directions. But when you read someone else's, and some of you are trying to remember, are you like the, you know, the bunny rabbit through the hole? Are you a double loop? Are you tying? Mean, you're kind of playing it all out through your head. But imagine if the person following your directions knew nothing about what you think, because so many times in our directions, well, that was implied. I mean, that was an implied left-hand turn. I mean, I, I mean you were supposed to have made that. Uh, you, know, you should have known about that landmark. Well, the text from Genesis 12 is so familiar to us that we'll do one of two things with a very, very familiar text. The one is we'll try to find some really deep new angle, you know, like no one's ever seen it, or I know it, so <laughs> pastor will think I'm looking at the Bible. <laughs> Little does he know what I'm actually scrolling through. Ooh, your secret is safe, I guess, with you. And the person seating behind you in stadium seating who's like, that is not the Bible. <laughs> Did you ever have that in school? Uh, when people could bring laptops in, if you remember in college when you could bring laptops, the sadness of realizing how many people with their laptop up were not taking notes. Just so you know, your professor knows it. I mean, <laughs> it's very clear. You can tell the person who's playing a game from someone taking notes. It does not take uh, a college degree to understand who's playing a video game 
because you've never seen someone be so intent on their notes. <sighs> You're like, man, my lecture is so good. They are really jazzed about it. Well, here we are at Genesis 12, and you've got the text driving. Go from your country to your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will go. So here's the challenge that the church has with this. Sometimes the simple reading is, man, it's time to go. So the church says, let's go and bless people. Let's go. We're ready. And we get this drive that the church's biggest thing uh, is go and bless. So let's go. But what I would suggest as we drive through the text is, uh, one of the quick questions is, if you're going, what does it mean to bless people? Or did you just get in the car and say, I have to bless people? I mean, I don't know what you carry in your car, but I don't know if I carry, like, blessings in my car. I've got some old receipts. Uh, I've got, I got a few other things in the back and, you know, some grocery bags. And, but I'm just sure, like, when you get in your car, just go. You've got to think about what you're going to actually do. So to get a bigger picture of what's happening in the text, we're staying right there. But this is now the full three. We're reading three verses. We read nine in our reading this morning. But I want to unpack it further. So listen to how this unfolds. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, for those of you who jumped in your cars, got in, and you heard the church needs to get out and go start blessing people, I'm not sure that you read the rest of the verses to understand what it is to actually bless others. Because uh, blessing is kind of a, a funny, churchy word, if you really think about it. The only other time we use bless is when? Yeah! When you sneeze. So... There's two times that we bless people, if you're in church, and if you sneeze. So we probably should unpack what that means, so you know whether or not like, the church is being sent to like, de-sneeze people, uh, or, or if there's something else going on, or maybe there's more to this text uh, than we knew, and not a new angle, just us actually reading the text uh, and allowing it move forward. So hearing all the words spoken to Abram, there's more going on than go. In fact, the interesting part is the go isn't founded in us. <laughs> the go is actually founded first in God giving directions. So if you were to think of whether or not it's your smartphone or some app or someone wrote out directions, the truth is God gave all the directions Abram needed, and Abram had to wait for God to give the directions before he could go. Abram didn't, after Genesis 12, verse 1, hop on his camel and ride. What's the text say? I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. God's doing all that. So God's actually the primary, but the trouble is in times in the church, we get so excited to go, uh, we forgot that maybe God's got to do something first before we go. You know that Matthew 28 ends with that great, great, great passage in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. So the church gets hung up, right? Because we're like, two goes. So we got to go, pastor. And then when we're all out and about in our cars and someone goes, why are we here? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I was just told to go. You ever been told to go to a neighbor's house and then you're just scared to death because you don't know what you're going to say to your neighbor? I mean, in church, pastor, they tell me to go talk to people and see, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I have no idea. Now, now I'm just scared that you're going to tell me to go. I'm not sure where this sermon's headed. 
because we get wrapped up in the go and we forget the rest of it. The message of the church is not primarily we are here to bless others. I'm going to repeat it just so you guys get it because it sounds kind of weird. The primary message of the church is not to bless others. The central message of the church is that we've been blessed by a gracious and merciful God. That's the primary message. The going happens after the fact that God already blessed and loved you. But the church gets so busy jumping in its church car, its church ideas, and its church settings. Interesting thing happens in civil society these days. I haven't gone to a a few meetings uh, in in my life in different municipalities, and certainly I've heard it even even here in the peak of good living, uh, is if you gather with, with churches, a comment will be made, you know what we need? We need churches to do more. Churches need to step up. And, and they need to do more things, because that's what churches do. They need to help people. See, this is where I just share with you, the church's primary task is not handouts. That's not the church's primary task. Anyone know what it is? It's Christ. The church's primary task is preaching Christ. I'm all for the church doing stuff. And if we could like double or triple what we share with people, I'm all in. Please don't hear me say, I'm not here to help people. I'm just sharing the church's primary task is not giving stuff away. The church's primary task is making sure that people understand how much Christ gave away for them. That's the church's primary task. Yeah, but that, that I, we liked the free stuff. You know, the, the free Books and, and, and bags and pens and, and coupons and, and iPads. We really liked all that. I know. Do you know why you like that stuff? <laughs> there we go, because it's free. Like if I told you all you would get free lunch today, how many would be kind of excited? I mean, no gimmicks attached free. You're like, what's the gimmick? No, like if you just knew like, there's free lunch, you'd all be like, we're in. Some of you are like, sweet, I don't have to do any dishes. This is awesome. Like, I'm sold on it. But we get so wrapped up in in what we think we're getting, we forget why we're getting it. Let's go. Abram couldn't go until God actually did what? Showed him, made him a great nation, and then blessed. God had to do all those things before Abram could go. If Abram went before God showed him the land, what would that look like? It'd look a lot like Israel. I realize Israel's not there yet because Abram hasn't made a great nation, but it'd look a lot like Moses what? Wandering in the wilderness. If you've ever done the map of looking at the wilderness, some of you are going, it took them 40 years? Yeah. Because God needed to make sure to show them the way, and the way isn't always about getting from point A to point B. God's not just about getting you from point A to point B. God actually wants to get you there to understand how important A is and how important B is. God wants to get you from where you are in your life right now to where he intends for you to be. And that will only happen if you understand that Christ has already gone. I'm only going where Christ has already been. This is an awesome part of being a Christian. When you go and Abram goes, he's going because God's already charted the path for him. See, God actually comes to Abram. Abram's touched by God's grace. And we think that God's grace is only a New Testament thing. No, it's all over the Old Testament. Abram's touched by his grace, and it's not his actions that is the the blessings he engaged in during his lifetime. See, Abram's like lifetime blessings, that's not where the eternal value is. The eternal value of Abram was the faith that God gave to him. And we're going to unpack not only in Genesis, but we're going to walk into Romans as well to see that, to see the early actions, because Paul describes it this way. If you want to jump, uh, go to Romans 4, 
Paul's now taking this question of, you know, is Abram going and, and what's happening? And is it about Abram doing things and blessing people? Uh, was it Abram somehow had like a, a gift of goodies that he was handing out? No, not at all. Paul says, what then shall have been gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? Now, when he talks about to the flesh, meaning what physical activities that he was engaged in. So was it the fact that Abram was really good at going? Is it the fact that Abram was, was really good at handing stuff out? That's Paul's question. He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, that is the things he did, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is actually quoting here Genesis 15 verse 6. So three chapters after the go and I'll make you a nation, I'll show you the land, and others will be blessed through you, when God said, I'm the primary... It's three chapters later that as Moses records the account of what happened in Abram's life, God actually does this because Abram had faith that God would do it. See, this is the most amazing thing about being a Christian. Our faith is founded in what God has said he will do. We don't always know how he's going to do it. We certainly don't always know when he's going to do it. We don't even know where, but we know he will. And we know that it will happen. Because he promised it. And that changes everything for Abram. Because the guys asked what? If you looked at the opening verse, 12.1, this is the part that we forget at times. Go. Go from everything you knew. Leave your family. Leave your home. Leave your kindred. Now, I realize a lot of you who have moved to North Carolina, some of your family maybe has, has followed you. But for a lot of people who moved to North Carolina, that meant leaving your family. Because the job was here, not your family. Now, I realize for some grandparents, you're like, well... My grandkid was here, so I was coming. I get it. I've talked to many of you, and I get grandkids, like, which is weird being now someone who my parents now have grandkids. I now understand where I am in the totem pole, right? (laughs) My parents don't call to talk to me now. My parents call to talk to. Ah, yeah, could you put one of the kids on the phone? I had something to share with you. No, I didn't know, really. Put put the kids on the phone. we'd We'd rather talk to them. I'm like, I don't understand what they're saying. I know. We'd just rather talk to them. All right. See, it's this piece of realizing what God is actually up to when he places you somewhere. You may not know what's actually happening. You're like, well, I knew what was happening. I had a job. Yeah, but now you actually have friends and relationships and so many other things, and you've started to form uh, a life that's here. Uh, And this weird place where you were taken to starts to become home. But when Abram started, it was just go. Go is scary. Go is very scary. And I think at times when the church says, well, let's just go and bless people, Pastors forget how scary going is when you tell people that. Because going means you've got to leave what you... No, you may not like where you are, (laughs) but when you go somewhere new, it's scary. Because you know what you're in now. You may not even... Like, it's a problem where you are. This is a problem. But I know my problem. And the moment I step here, I'm now in someone else's... I'm hoping it's not a problem. I'm hoping I'm in someone else's joy. But I've moved out. Abram is asked to move out somewhere else. And remember, he doesn't go until God did what? Shows him the land, makes the nation great, and offers to bless him. Going isn't the primary. Waiting for God to show you is it. That God's out in front. God doesn't send Christians out without him. God actually says, I've already gone there for you. I'd like you to go where I have already trod a path for you. That's the joy of Lent. When we look to the cross, we realize Christ already went the length for us. We don't have to make it up. We actually see where it's going. Now, you move 
that in with John 3. So in John 3, this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And I know some of us just want to jump right to John 3, 16. We're ready, pastor, just get me there. But if you go to John 3, take a look. And as you head to that text, I'll get you to John 3, 16, but don't get there too quick. Nicodemus wants to know how is it that God does the going stuff. Jesus presents it as this, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus kind of asks, well, that's a weird place to go. But he says it in an interesting parlance, right? Kind of does it in like a sixth grade health kind of thing. So, back into the womb? You know, just a real question. Remember, this is in the evening. Nicodemus doesn't want anyone to know that he, a learned scholar, would actually be around Jesus because being around Jesus is a no-no. Uh, it is certainly like scholarly, academic suicide to be around Jesus, but he knows Jesus has answers. And as he comes to him and he gathers and has this conversation, the Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, comes at night, and then Jesus explains what God's done by taking him back into Numbers 21, verse 9, which is probably not a place most of you run to all the time. You don't just jump into Numbers, because most of you are like, I don't want to read that book. Numbers is just Numbers. But those of you who read the book discover that Numbers really isn't all Numbers at all. Numbers is like one of the most awesome narrative texts. It just has a census at the front and the end. And then the rest is all like this really cool picture of God's people on the move. Well, Jesus takes Nicodemus to explain what's going to happen. He takes him into Numbers 21. And here's how he writes, just before John 3.16, which, yes, is sitting right there. He says, if I told you earthly things you did not believe, how can you believe if I told you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Think about this. John 3.16 happens first spoken to a man in the evening, in the quiet, to a man who's asking questions. We've spoken this verse out so many times that we forget it really is a verse that begins on the idea that you've got to know the Old Testament. That serpent that was lifted up is indeed the people of Israel well, were bitten uh, by a serpent. And Moses said, what do I do? The people are bitten and some of them are dying. He says, well, you know what? Take that, take that staff uh, that you've got and I just want you to take that staff and I want you to, to lift up the staff. And it's Jesus who actually reminds us that that staff is a prefigurement of Christ being raised on the cross, that the people needed to look. Now, some of you know the rest of your Old Testament history. The weird part is people started worshiping the very snake that had been raised up, uh, and King Hezekiah actually has to destroy the thing later. He's like, you guys, you're missing it. God did the work. They're like, yeah, but the snake's really cool. We should worship the snake. And God said, no. Well, Abram said we needed to go, so we got to go. Matthew 28 says we got to go, so pastor, we got to go. We got to bless people. I'm with you. But before you go, know why is it that you're going? You're actually going, and Matthew shares this of Jesus' words, go ye therefore and make disciples by baptizing, and he tells you what the going is about. Some people are like, yeah, but we just got to get in the car. Uh, I'm notorious for it. You can ask Melissa, it's actually true. She's now trained me. I get in the car and go, she's like, could you wait until it actually computes a route? I'm like, I thought I was helping. She's like, well, not, not when you aren't patient, young man. I added the young man part. That, <laughs> that's not true to the text. 
It's this unique thing. We just want to get there. And we forget actually waiting for the journey to unfold. Abram knew if he was going to go into this new land, God was going to show him the way. That's why Genesis 15, 6 says it's credited as righteous. That's why Paul illuminates it again in Romans 4. He says it's so pivotal that our faith is what actually moves us. It's faith that actually moves mountains. Now, the text then takes us to that very place that we're so accustomed to going. Nicodemus gathered there in the temple asking Jesus, right after Jesus said, just as the Son of Man was lifted up, the Son of Man, just like that snake, the Son of Man will be lifted up, prefiguring what will happen. Jesus has yet to die. And then he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. Remember that. It hasn't happened yet. You know John 3.16 is fulfilled. Right here, it's actually, get ready for this, it's prophecy. For God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through him. You got to remember where to go. How many of you have been to or engaged presently in soccer with young children on Saturdays or any other day of the week? All right. How many of you have ever been and actually just seen a child's soccer game? Okay, sweet. Okay, then this illustration will make sense to you. Um, so if you've ever seen kid, kids' soccer, there's a unique thing. Um, where the ball goes is where the kids go. It's actually kind of fun if you just watch it, not for like sport at all, but like watching it as sport. I mean, like the sport is watching kids. Ball, 22 kids. Ball, 22 kids. And then all you see is just the little little legs all just kind of like delicately because no one's really kicking and they're just kind of like, if I poke at it, my parents will be proud, and they're just kind of poking, and, and it's just kind of running. And it's more like pinball than it is anything else. And like when the goal scores, you watch the goalkeeper who's more like, I don't know. Normally it pinballs out. That's not my job. I just, I just kind of kick. Now I bring this up because the kids know to go and follow the ball. They just know to follow the ball. Because someone said, go get the ball. So the kid went and got the ball. Think about the church. When the church tells and some pastor preaches, we got to go and bless people, people just start what? Oh, there's a ball. The pastor said it's the ball. We got to go. We just got to go. And then you're sitting there going, I have no idea how this, anyone know how this game is played? I don't know. I mean, I wonder what the kids are actually saying out there. Oranges? I don't know if we're getting oranges today. This stuff's crazy. This game, man, I want to get back home. I mean, you, I mean, maybe they are. But the funny thing is, it took a whole lot more in my career of playing soccer to learn this really crazy thing about when you actually play the sport. You ready for this? Soccer is actually about running into space. The whole game is actually about running into open space. Like literally pre-planning. Like there's one phrase my high school soccer coach, I mean winning was not our thing. I've taught you that before. So we, we were not a winner. But we knew what we needed to do to win. We just didn't do it. Uh, but he taught us like you got to run to space. When you see something open, make the play happen. When 22 people run to the ball, you all seen what that looks like. And so it is with the church as well. Until we tell people what going and blessing actually looks like and that God's moving, it's going to look kind of like 20, 22 kids running after the ball. When you unlock and say, hey, God's freed you to do amazing things and he's already done it for you. And now we're going in the name of Christ. We are going in his place. He's chosen us to be his people. We're like, well, this sounds kind of cool. And get, get ready. He's opened up space for you. And he's actually got the very markers where he wants you to be. You know where those are? Employee, mom, dad, cousin, friend, neighbor. They're called vocations. God says, I want you to do those things. 
Not because God needs you to do those things. Your neighbor does. Your neighbor actually needs you to fulfill all those roles. And that's where we can actually gladly tell the the town, we do good things because God's already done good for us. But the church's primary thing is not doing good things. The church's primary thing is knowing God already did all the primary work. And that in Christ now, new things can actually happen. That promise then moves forward. So we get this other interesting thing, this question of what comes next. Well, here we are in Acts 9. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) Now you're like, this is a weird jump. Well, maybe it's not as weird as you think. Saul thought he was doing the work. Saul thought he was going and blessing. I know this is crazy to you. Saul actually thought he was helping because he thought tramping down this movement called Christ followers was the way to go, and this was actually blessing people. Again, that's absurd to you as a Christian today. I get that. It's intellectually weird, but Saul actually thought he was doing it, and God actually stops him as if he's one of 22 kids running after the ball. I know the metaphor gets kind of weird, but just track me here. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He was so busy chasing what he thought was essential, he actually forgot that God was showing him the way. He had completely gotten off base. Acts records it in this way, verse 5 of Acts 9, and he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He said, Paul, we got to change how you play the game. we got to change how you go about doing these things because you were too focused on what you thought was necessary He heard go, and man, he was doing. And you know the doing that Saul did was persecuting and killing Christians and taking people's lives, something God would never ask. But he thought he was doing the right thing. He was convinced that he had everything figured out. It's not about following a set of rules. It's about first hearing the actions of a Savior for us. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that we would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but the righteousness of faith. You see, how we actually function is a gift that God gives to us. How we go about doing the things on this morning, gathering in this place. I mean, give yourself a little pat on the back. You made it to church on Time Change Sunday. And I'm not trying to be light about it. I'm serious. That takes a change in mindset. Because you're like, well... You know, it's, it's, you know, it's not the best. Now, some of you did think this. Good Lord, give us a second service sometime soon so that we might have a later arrival so that we can all laugh when we have like a late service that somehow triples in attendance on this most blessed of time change days. <laughs> what's, fun, what's funny is no one's disagreeing. You're all smiling at me going, Yes! That is what we are looking for. That would be great. But we do all that because we know that gathering to praise God's name is what's first in our lives. We joke about the time, we joke about the call, we joke about gathering, but the truth is your week isn't right if you don't gather in the Lord's house. Everything else doesn't make sense if it doesn't actually start with God at the front. And so it is of those texts of go. Go doesn't make sense unless God's gone first. Paul shares this in Galatians 3. Know that, though, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. 
So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, we go into the world not so people can copy us. I think sometimes the church gets in this habit, if we just do it enough, then people will want to copy us. That's not what we're actually up. Now, I know it happens, but we go into the world to praise and thank God for what he's already done. That's our first move. If people copy us for what we're doing, praise God. Which is weird, isn't it? Because now it turns out everything's actually just about praising God. Now, I didn't share with the kids. You all read through. Because, man, I'm going to put the second commandment up there. You guys read it all. You know there's five things, five prohibitions that Luther had in his explanation. But what he says at the end is, how do we use God's name? Pray, praise, give thanks. That we actually use that name to honor God every single day. Remember the kids we started out with, sitting there trying to get their assignment with shoes? Some of you are sitting there going, what are we doing with the kids? Where are they? So here's the interesting things. To the kids who had that assignment, they actually thought the assignment was about tying your shoe. It had very little to do with tying your shoe. Tying your shoe was not the goal of the assignment. The goal of the assignment was to make sure you could describe how your shoe was tied. Those are two different things. If you think it's about just tying your shoe, then then you had a different outcome. It's the same in the church. Our goal is not for us to do good works. It's not our goal. I don't preach to you to tell you to do stuff. It's not my goal. My goal is not for you to do stuff. I want to be sure that you can actually clearly and succinctly describe what Christ has done for you And then we can go and respond to what God's done. That's the goal. It's not tying the shoe. It's not, well, pastor told us to, you know, do these five things. No, no, no. Hopefully what you hear is pastor said God has already gone. God has already blessed. God has already shown us the land. God has already been raised up in Numbers 21, just as surely as we heard him speaking to Nicodemus in John 3, that he was raised up for the entire world. And that we have been blessed first so that others may be blessed through the work that Christ is doing in us, through us. And get ready for this, brothers and sisters. Sometimes the work he's doing in spite of us. Praise God. To him be all honor, glory, and praise. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.